Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. The World Health Organization has declared a global pandemic as the coronavirus rapidly spreads around the world. The WHO's chief said we're deeply concerned both by the alarming levels of spread and severity and by the alarming levels of inaction. WHO officials had been reluctant to make such a declaration. Declaring a pandemic is charged with political and economic ramifications. What does this all mean for investors? The Dow Jones and Industrial average now officially in bear market territory, down 20% from its peak. This is the fastest plunge ever for the blue chip index, 20 days from peak to bear market. It's also been a time of unusual volatility. There have been seven swings recently of more than a thousand points. Arun Pai, helping us make sense of all of this. How are you this morning, Arun? I'm very good, Michelle. How are you? I am doing well. Listen, as we try to figure out what this means for investors, I was reading Jeffrey Gundlash saying it's better to stay in Canada cash than treasuries as the U.S. Uh, 10-year yield has hit a record low. This morning, I was speaking with Chief Market Strategist Stephen Innes, and he said he agrees with Gunlash and thinks the best thing to do with your money right now is to keep it in cash. Arun, do you agree? I mean, honestly, like Jeff Gunlash is the bond king, right? And when the bond king himself tells you to stay away from his asset class, you know things are getting very, very dicey. Uh, it's something that we talked about the last couple of weeks also, like 10-year, 30-year treasuries, especially the middle-dated or long-dated ones, at 75 basis points and 1.25%, they just make absolutely no sense for an investor to buy, even hoping that they can achieve any kind of a decent return from this. Uh, so you, as an investor, you have three choices, right? You can either invest into bond, you can invest into cash, you can invest into equity. Bonds, as we discussed just now, extremely, uh, you know, the prices are extremely overinflated. Uh, you come to equities and the average investor, when they see market gyrations of like a thousand points every day in the Dow, four mm. or five percent, fear definitely takes over. Uh, I think it's important to take a step back and take a look at what you're actually buying in terms of valuation and not be caught up by all of this headline news. The underlying problem, though, is the markets were extremely frothy coming into this calendar year. And a correction of what we've seen, while obviously the speed of it is extremely, uh, is something to be extremely cautious about, at the same time, uh, I personally don't think the valuations are at a level where as a, you know, as a value investor you can get it. And hence the only other choice is then cash. And hence everyone is sitting and getting into cash right now. All right. That makes a lot of sense. All eyes of the world on the U.S. Trump has just announced a European travel restriction because of the coronavirus, saying the administration will restrict all travel to the U.S. from Europe, which is reeling from the epidemic. And the travel restrictions will be in effect for the next 30 days. The U.K. will be exempt from the new limits, which are expected to go into effect Friday at midnight, which is a little strange. If you're going to have a European travel ban why exempt the uk um some say <laughs> what do you think of that for a stop 
<laughs> Trump at his finest, right? He was <laughs> literally like berating Europe, for, the EU, for what they or their inaction for that matter. So. <laughs> so the travel restrictions obviously affecting member states of the Schengen area, uh, which includes most, not all of EU, and and the UK just leaving the EU, so not affected by the restrictions. But um, Trump's also very interestingly said, "This is not a financial crisis. This is just a temporary moment of." time uh he was expe- oh, first of all do you agree with that i think there are two aspects to that i think there is uh some merit to that in terms of if like in a month's time we see uh the covid number of cases uh decreasing uh with all these clampdowns and quarantines in place then i think we are hopefully over that hump and we might not see a very long term uh reduction in terms of demand for consumer goods or other such uh, items. The bigger issue, I think, is what happened on Sunday uh, where the where oil crashed by like 25%. Mm. And I think that can have much bigger reverberations in the real economy. All right, let's talk about oil then. Um, how do you think they've impacted market sentiment, the falling oil prices and what has been the knock-on effect on, on on safe haven assets, Aaron? Sure. So I think the you know obviously over the weekend uh, there was a massive uh, price correction because basically OPEC Plus, which consists of uh, the erstwhile OPEC countries led by Saudi Arabia and Russia, uh, they had a massive fallout primarily because the Russia was uh, annoyed at the U.S. for uh, various sanctions that were in place. So Russia wanted to inflict a little bit of pain on the U.S. by ensuring that uh, the various shale producers in the U.S. do not get a free uh, ticket mm-hmm. in terms of oil prices being at like 45 plus. Uh, so Russia was not agreeing to uh, what Saudi Arabia wanted, which was basically an oil production cut. Saudi Arabia got really annoyed at Russia then, and they decided to like spike up production and give massive discount for oil. When oil cr- crashes by like 25% in a day, when you already had the economy uh, having slowed down tremendously because of the COVID virus and just generally like a lack of growth, mm. uh, that leads to massive reverberations because you have uh, an industry that uh, is a substantial percentage of the world GDP, which tends to be over-leveraged, especially given interest rates were so low, they're leveraged even more. And now suddenly, like your, your, the, the underlying good, which is oil, is now down like 35-40% over the past four or five months. When that happens, you're in an over-leveraged industry, your cost of your good, which is oil, is uh, completely crashed. There will be massive pain in the industry. And when you start seeing, uh, you know, real jobs being lost when companies go bankrupt uh, in that space, there will be secondary and tertiary effects onto other industries also. So we talked a lot about, you know, stuff like tourism and entertainment and F&D taking a massive hit uh, because of the COVID virus. And now you have this other massive issue of uh, oil and gas space, the ONG space. Things are really not looking that good right now in pretty much any sector other than potentially pharmaceuticals. You're right. So I want to bring that question to local markets. How vulnerable are we? We have a lot of oil rig companies on the SGX, Semcorp Marine, Keppel Reed. How could they be impacted as a result of falling prices? So, uh, you know, luckily, I think uh, banks in Singapore, while obviously they're going to be exposed uh, to the massive industry that is the uh, oil and gas space, there was a large correction 
you know, like a couple of years back. And hence, uh, banks, uh, at least the Singapore banks, and for that matter, U.S. banks have genuinely cleaned up their balance sheets quite substantially. Now, uh, you know, the market experts are predicting that oil will hover around the $30 mark. Uh, a Goldman Sachs analyst just came out saying that would be the case, and a number of other people too. I think my personal take is, uh, without a lack of true demand, uh, you know, you, you just and a lack of growth in the world economy, oil will pretty much stay stagnant over here. One would hope that Russia and Saudi Arabia can go back onto the, uh, you know, the agreement table and start agreeing to have a slow number of cuts over the next couple of months, but that does seem a bit unlikely. So you're in a situation where uh, the, the general underlying principles of the industry will not improve that much. So then you start getting concerned about who are the banks that are affected by this. Mm. And hopefully in the local space at least, while there will definitely be you know, a lot more pain felt in the industry, I think the balance sheet uh, of at least the three main banks in Singapore seem to be relatively stronger than what it was three to four years back. So hopefully we'll be able to ride out this pain a little bit easier than, say, potentially banks in Europe. Still on Singapore, Arun, the government says it's working on a second stimulus package and the focus is on shielding Singapore, preventing retrenchments. It's not ruling out using our reserves. The numbers are being crunched. Um, it said there will be targeted and broad-based measures to help firms through this crisis as well. Arun, how much help is needed and where is that help needed? I think the help is needed, especially when you get into the SME segment, Mm -hmm. because they are the ones who are feeling the most pain. And make no mistake about it, they're also responsible for over like 70% of the employment in this country. So, uh, you know, the government really has to step up in times of distress. uh, The government is the last lender of resort, right? So you have... uh, Luckily, over here at least, there's a very stable political climate as compared to our uh, neighbors. And you have a government that is solely focused on ensuring that stability will come back into this economy. Now, Singapore being a hub for, you know, uh, be it transportation, be it uh, in the oil space of like oil movement from uh, east to west, because uh, obviously it has a massive port, uh, tourism, uh it being the focal point of uh, a lot of the neighboring countries, this uh, the stuff like the COVID virus and the double whammy of uh, this oil collapse is going to hurt the economy tremendously. Uh, luckily, two things going for it, as highlighted earlier, I think the banks are in a lot more of a stable spot as compared to, say, a couple of years back, and definitely since the global financial crisis. And at the same time, uh, we, we in Singapore are relatively more lucky given that the past four years uh, we were having a budget surplus. So I think it makes absolute sense to draw down on those reserves, uh, start you know, lending out money, especially to the sectors that are going to be naturally the most affected, oil and gas, uh, transportation, F&B, the entertainment space. And because of all of those, there will be secondary and tertiary effects felt on the other industries. And hence, uh, you know, while you obviously, you know, it can't just be uh, doling out of money to everyone. Uh, It has to be done in a more uh, smarter manner. Mm. Uh, But I do trust the government to ensure that the money will be given to the sectors that are hit the most to begin with. 
but then also to be equally concerned about the secondary and tertiary effects. When we look at the Straits Times Index, currently trading at 2,678, the the 12-month high was 3,400 last April. So we're down about 20%. Are we in danger of of bear market territory? So, I mean, based by the the technical factor, like, you know, 20% is classified as a bear market or a Mm. correction, sure. Uh, You know, that that is obviously the case. Uh, We have gone through that. I think the bigger issue for investors in general right now is the speed with which this correction took place, where everyone felt, say, like, if you look back, say, two to three weeks ago, where obviously, you know, China was getting affected or China just, like, started to recover, uh, there were obviously a couple of spots in South Korea and Italy that looked a little bit, uh, a little bit more dicey. But now you have, as Trump just came out, banning travel to the EU. Mm. Uh, Various countries around Singapore, India, Thailand, have basically, you know, uh, told anyone who's visiting that you might have to uh, spend 14 days in quarantine. So that pretty much has killed any kind of uh, travel. So when you're in a situation like this, you know, it it, it will become uh, scary. And then what exactly, as a rational investor... Mm. What do you take a look at this and what do you start seeing from this? I think at the end of the day, the bottom line is uh, equity markets, at least, were extremely expensive. Uh, If this 20% correction had happened over the course of the next, say, four to five months, I think it would be be a lot less worrisome. But given the speed with which it has happened, given the fact that, uh, you know, now people are coming out saying even bonds might be extremely overinflated in terms of valuation, too, uh, sadly, cash is the only avenue left, and it's time to hunker down a little bit, uh, ride the storm out by hopefully keeping a decent portion in cash, and uh, you know, seeing what happens over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, uh, the COVID virus fears start uh, you know coming down a little bit. Uh, valuations have corrected to some extent, but I hope, uh, as a value investor at least, I hope that valuations correct a little bit more. And then we can start looking to purchase uh, some beaten down stocks. Goldman Sachs has said that gold has immunity to this crisis. And bond king Jeffrey Gunlach also has said he sees huge upside in precious metals. What is your take? I think it's interesting because uh, it's a precious metal where, which has you know, survived or lasted for value over the past like you know, century. So I think during times like this, Uh, As a short-term trading uh, position, Mm -hmm. while I think it might make sense to get into gold, I do genuinely believe that in the long run, buying productive companies at decent valuation, earning a dividend off of them, and not being too concerned by by the 10%, 20% market moves, be it even on a daily basis, sadly, it's important to put on like horse visors. Uh, know what you're buying, be confident about uh, the industry that you're taking a look at, do the required due diligence, and uh, just buy it and hold it for the long run. And if that is something that investors are not comfortable with, then by all means, you know, keep your position in cash, slowly start buying uh, the the equity index on a monthly basis uh, in small amounts of money for the next six months to a year to two years, and, uh, you know, just keep it as a retirement nest egg.
Great advice there. Always wise words. Arun Pai is Chief Strategy Officer at Asia Collect. Arun, news, has news that the IPOs, including REITs in Singapore, are grinding to a halt. Um, is that contributing to uh, fears moving forward? And do you expect this volatility to continue? I think that's an excellent uh, question, to be honest, Michelle. I think, you know, when the markets are so volatile, your IPOs definitely dry up. Right. Like no one is willing to uh, come into the primary market because your investors are just running scared from the existing uh, tradable stocks in the exchange. I think one thing uh, that might create a massive domino effect of this is actually the extreme frothy valuation in the private market space. Mm. And we've touched about this a little bit earlier where you had, you know, the debacle of, say, WeWork, right, where SoftBank came along and said, WeWork, we're going to IPO it. And uh, then suddenly people realize that it's not worth 45 billion. It might even be bankrupt, but let's hypothetically just put a number of say like five to $8 billion on it. I think in the private market space, the amount of capital that has gone into uh, the venture capitals, which has then gone into investing into private markets at extremely frothy valuations, can now come to a grinding halt because the only way a venture capital fund can make money by investing into a private company, you know, valuations continuously going higher is great for their books, but at the same time, they need to have an exit. What an exit means for a private company means is that it goes into uh, the exchange and it does an IPO. So now when your IPO market is dried up, potentially for the next, dare I say, three months to a year, Mm. you have a lot of these private uh, companies that have just been bleeding cash uh, and we're hoping that because of these frothy valuations in the public market space, mm-hmm. that they'll be able to get an exit. So now you have investors running scared who might not be willing to put money into these private uh, vehicles, which are your venture capital firms. You do not have an exit for these private companies to go into the exchange and you know go through an IPO. And you have an underlying business model, which is pretty much has been burning cash to acquire customers at any cost. That's a recipe for disaster. And I think a big after effect of the lack of IPOs uh, is going to actually be seen in the private market space, where you see a lot of these smaller or even for that matter, decently large sized businesses like a WeWork not having access to capital anymore and then potentially seeing bankruptcies or at least massive restructuring. Yeah, and for IPOs to be successful, the market needs stability to price and book build and execute the deal. And we're seeing schedules disrupted, companies cutting back on travel, staff disrupt, discouraged from non-essential travel, no face-to-face meetings. Are you scared, Arun? Is there still value in this market? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Is there money to be IP- made? <laughs> I, I wish I knew. Uh, but sadly, I think this is the time where uh, a little bit of fear uh, is prudent. Uh, you know, keep a decent amount of portion in cash. Equity markets, I personally feel they could have a decent amount of room to still correct. Hopefully, it's not at the pace with which what we've seen in the past two, three weeks, mm. because then it could lead to a lot of other secondary and tertiary effects. Like when fear takes over, you know, we saw what happened in 2008. And honestly, like I was part of Lehman Brothers, right? I, I saw this market volatility firsthand. And this is the first time in the past 12 years that I've seen anything even remarkably close to that. And dare I say, it seems to be even worse than that, if that's even possible. Uh, You know, 
it's 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 scary times. Like th- th- that being said, though, you know, valuations of the equity market were at a ridiculously high level going into this. In 2007, uh, you know, or 2008, right before Lehman bankruptcy in October, mm. uh, obviously valuations were stretched, but they were not stretched as much as what we were seeing over the past two to three months. Be it in the technology space, be it in the private market space, be it for that matter, even in the bond space. Uh, valuations were stretched so much, and when that usually happens, things tend to self-correct. So hopefully, so uh, that's not to like, uh, you know, say that everything is going to be fine. It's just that investors should be very cognizant of that. Always keep looking for value purchases. Uh, try to buy businesses that have solid economic moats, that have a solid business model, that are not overly leveraged, are properly uh, generating free cash flow. And, you know, let's go back to the basics of investing, right? It's not a Ponzi scheme over here. Yeah. Let's go back to buying stable companies at good valuation mm-hmm. and earn your 10, 12%, hopefully, per annum <laughs> for the next, like, five or 10 years. It seems to be a lot, but it's possible. Arun, you've lived through very interesting times. You, you've you been in the, the world's fourth largest investment bank when it went bust in 2008. And here we are all living through a pandemic. It is. And I think uh, at that time, it was a bit scarier because, uh, you know, as much as people can, you know, hate or love, most probably hate investment banks, mm. uh, they do uh, serve a purpose for the underlying economy. And that is to ensure that capital goes from people who have it to people who need it. That's the that's the one fundamental uh, requirement or what a bank genuinely does or what it should be doing. Back then, when banks uh, when banks' balance sheets were very weak, uh, the, it, the main street could feel the effects of that because capital stopped flowing from one place to the next. In this case, I think at least in the U.S. and uh, for us at least in Singapore, banks are in a lot more uh, stable a position. Mm. So if hopefully we can ride out, uh, you know, this COVID virus uh, stuff, which I genuinely do think will happen over the next two to three months. So I'm sure there'll be like many bumps along the way, mm-hmm. but uh, governments are have their act together to a very large extent. Uh, maybe not some of them, but at least most of them definitely seem to be implementing the required measures. Yes. So you have so you have at least hopefully this virus uh, headline news will hopefully start dying down. The oil and gas thing definitely makes me very afraid because that can you know really crush banks' balance sheets which will then have massive effects on every other industry because of, you know, what we were just talking about, like what the role of a bank is in a general uh, underlying economy. So far, we've not seen those cracks yet. Uh, That's something that I am being a lot more cautious of, and I'm actively taking a look at to see what CEOs mentioned. You were highlighting at the beginning of this call where Trump came out saying that it's not a financial crisis. Mm. So Trump met uh, five of uh, the, you know, the U.S.'s largest banks, including uh, Blackstone and a couple of other large fund managers. They all came over to the White House and they had a discussion about this. It's important to ensure that banks remain healthy so mm. that the rest of the sectors in the economy are not affected as much. So far, it seems to be the case, and touch wood, hopefully that continues. You know, for once, I hope you're right. 
<laughs> Especially on your two to three month uh, outlook that, you know, we hope things do turn for the better. 81 countries in the world don't have a single case of coronavirus. And we hope, you know, they manage to do what they need to to keep the virus at bay for their countries. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Have a wonderful day, Arun. My pleasure, Michelle. Thank you. Arun Pai is Chief Strategy Officer at Asia Collect, joining us this morning in Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.